Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. There are people sitting here this morning and circumstances of life have so played out that you're trapped in your mind and your spirit in one dimension of your life. Some people have uh, uh, an event and they uh, become so traumatized over that event that they no longer can live life forward, but they over and over again begin to replay this in their life. There are people here that you are trapped by the circumstances that are produced by other people's actions. Something that is not of your own creation. Events have transpired that uh, have caught you uh, in the involvement, and other people have created situations that uh, you are caught in the outflow of that. You're tormented in your mind. There are other people that are sitting here today, and you feel that God has been unfair to you. The events of life have unfolded, and as they've unfolded, they have ensnared you, and uh, the future uh, has been clouded, and you're living your life every day, replaying the events. If you'd have been in a different place, if you'd have made a different decision, if uh, only it was this, it was not this way. I'm going to preach about a man. Very simple sermon this morning. It's a familiar story. But here's a man who was a colossal failure. His name is Peter. And this man leaves for us a very powerful lesson that I want to share with you. Luke 22, beginning with verse 54, I want to preach to you about living life forward. Jesus now has been captured. Uh, they've taken him into uh, the, the hall to interrogate him. And verse 54 says, having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. Now, when they'd kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them and a certain servant girl Seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with him or with Jesus. But he denied the Lord, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You also are of them. But Peter said, Man, I'm not. Then after about an hour had passed, uh, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're saying. Immediately, 
while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord I had said to him, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. I want to talk to you for a minute about the arena of life. We have a, uh, uh, a mistaken expectation sometimes in life. We would like to live this idyllic life that emotionally and mentally and uh, physically everything would flow along. We would not have any problems in life. Uh, and we have a wrong expectation that uh, being believers, uh, life ought to be smooth for us. Uh, and we ought not to have uh, many of the problems in life that uh, unsaved people have. Uh, and we ought to uh, expect to never make a wrong turn. We never make a mistake. We always know the perfect will of God. I uh, was writing some notes uh, uh, last night in prayer. I just got stirred about uh, the issue of uh, making decisions. Uh, but we have this GPS syndrome. How many of you know what a GPS is? Uh, uh, everybody that's a techno freak has one in their car. I noticed they got uh, Brother Camel one. He don't even know how to use it. So <laughs> They have this uh, syndrome uh, that the Christian life ought to be. Uh, we're going along and the boy said, turn left at the next corner. Uh, turn right at this. Uh, uh, and we have this mistaken idea that that's what life ought to be all about, uh, that we would never make a mistake uh, and never take a wrong turn. We had a pastor some years ago who's not with us any longer. And he was famous for making a, say, a, a statement. And that statement was, failure is not even, even in my vocabulary. Well, either you're a liar or you're uh, greatly deluded about your own life uh, and your own existence. Because here in this uh, text, we find the reality that is far different from that. Here's Peter. He reveals himself as a, a part of the human race. Look again at verse 57. He denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You all serve them. But Peter said, Man, uh, I am not. The Bible says very clearly, if any man thinks that he stands, take heed lest he fall. Can you say amen? So we need to be very knowledgeable about this because all of us sitting in this building this morning have or will at some point in life make a wrong decision, make a wrong turn, and the events of life will catch us uh, at that point. What we do at that point uh, is going to be very determinant uh, about uh, the Christian life that we live. You may have some relationship failure or action that has caused a breach of relationship with other people. To, and uh, this, uh, this plays out like a bad drama over and over and over again. You seem unable to escape for that. You may make a foolish uh, career decision or a job change, uh, and uh, it seems like uh, that was the worst mistake that you ever made. It does not turn out like you thought it was going to turn out. Uh, you may have uh, married, and uh, you keep thinking over, over and over again, uh, I married the wrong person. 
Well, be encouraged. We all married the wrong person. The issue is not marrying the right person. The issue is being the right person. Can you say amen? It may be that you have made some disastrous financial decisions. You know, uh, the difficulty in this generation is you get uh, 10 credit card offers a week, you know, that you can, you can, uh, you can uh, have a cap on your credit of $100,000. I mean, isn't that wonderful? Man, what a great thing uh, that uh, you are worthy of somebody giving you credit. You've made a wrong uh, decision. And the next thing you know, you're paying off your credit cards with a new credit card and another credit card. And the next thing you know, I had one couple, they came to me. Uh, they're getting ready to get married. They came to, to me. I always talk to uh, people before they get married. I will ask them about their financial decision. And they unrolled this, uh, this financial position on me. And when they were finished, I said, beats me. I don't see how you'll ever get out of this. <laughs> but the, thankfully, they came to me a couple of years later and said, Pastor, we want you to know we're debt free. We got out of it. I said, praise God. That's one of the great miracles of all time. So what we have is we have sins of omission, sins of commission, if we could put it like that. But here we have an individual and he's made a mistake and the issue that we want to deal with is processing uh, the events uh, of life. You can't change the past. The past is the past. But you can certainly mess up the future. And you can do that uh, by the decisions that you make and how you handle life. It was a, a missionary a widow, Elizabeth Elliot. She wrote these words. She says, today is mine. Tomorrow's none of my business. If I peer anxiously into the fog of the future, I'll strain my spiritual eyes so that I'll not see clearly uh, what is required uh, of me uh, now. So what happens to us uh, in these situations is a feeling of hopelessness uh, comes over us because of a failure that we've made, a mistake that we've made, and this hopelessness comes over us. Maybe my future is gone. What's going to happen to me now? And someone has written the saddest words of tongue or pen are these the words it might have been. And the worst part of this is generally it is our own fault. We can spend our lives when life catches us in that arena saying, if only I had, or uh, we can uh, uh, meditate upon the issue of the hour, and I might have. And so we, like a dog chasing its tail uh, over and over again, uh, we're caught and trapped uh, in the present moment uh, like a bad dream. David is an example of this, uh, and he is caught by self-condemnation, Second Samuel 18, verse 33, Absalom has been killed against his order. Then the king was deeply moved, and he went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he wept, he said thus, O oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died in your place, O oh, Absalom, my son, my son, if only. So here is the remorse. Here is the regret that comes uh, that begins to affect us in the present moment. Uh, and someone has written, the mind uh, is its own place. Uh, 
And in itself, uh, it can make a heaven of hell uh, or a hell uh, of heaven. This is the arena of life. I want to talk to you about the inevitable consequences uh, that this will bring uh, as we come to this place. There's a, there's, a, there's a danger, and that danger is a perspective that you take uh, over the uh, circumstances that you find yourself in. If you're not very careful, uh, maybe I mentioned this last night, bitterness can begin to come in. Bitterness is one of the great dangers of life. Self-pity then also can begin to play into this. And with all of this, there comes a loss of hope. Let me quote that scripture again. I think I may have used it last night in Genesis 47. Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimages. So we can become trapped this morning both by our circumstances and by our attitude. In the book of Ruth is a great drama. It is very instructive. We have a lady there, her name is Naomi, her and her husband, uh, uh, in a hardship in the land of Israel, travel up into the land of Moab. They have two sons, and uh, the, the sons marry uh, daughters up there in the land. Finally, uh, Naomi's husband dies, then the two sons die, and uh, Naomi comes back uh, into the land of Israel. She's from Bethlehem, and as she comes, the neighbors recognize her, and they say, Oh, Naomi, it's so good to see you. Ruth 1, 20 and 21, listen to these words. The name Naomi means pleasant. But she said to them, Do not call me pleasant or Naomi. Call me Mara or bitterness, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me. So here we have a lady caught in the events of life. Someone has written, life must be lived forward. And the problem is, this morning, is in the memory. The Bible says that, when uh, Peter did this, uh, uh, the Lord turned and looked at him, uh, and he remembered, uh, because one of the qualities and the gifts that God gives us uh, that can be very useful is the quality of memory. That can be a great blessing, uh, but it also can become a deadly factor in life. We cannot allow the issues of the past to define what we are now or what we're going to do and in the future. And the wonderful thing that God furnishes for us is the ability to resolve the issues of life, get healed, and go on with life. Can you say amen? Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad for that? So what the, the focus we need to bring is mind battles. This is the, one of the greatest struggles in the Christian life is mind battles. 
And what happens in the events of life is uh, our memory is triggered, and as our memory is triggered, it often flows into personal regret, and as I said before, then remorse and regret begins to lay hold of us. In the book of Luke uh, 22, 61 and 22, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter, then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he'd said to him, before the, the, the rooster crowed, you'll deny me three times, so Peter went out and wept bitterly. You see, the problem with a failure or with a mistake has to do with the wasted years. Inevitably, there are consequences that come, and this often involves wasted years, a missed opportunity, a wrong decision, and time rolls on, and the years are wasted of life. Let me give you a technical definition of regret. And it's an expression of distress in emotions as sorrow or disillusionment. To be sorry for one's mistake, remorse, self-condemnation, self-reproach, to lament or to regret strongly. So what happens to us in life is that our memory is impacted, and the Bible says he remembered. One writer says we can be drowning in a pool of regret before we even realize or know what's happened to us. Let's talk about both ends of this spectrum. Number one is the decisions that we make. We have a man named Jacob in the Bible. The Bible says that Jacob... Uh, is a uh, he's a slippery creature, and so he's a mama's boy. You know the decision. Uh, <coughs> his father's going to pass out blessing for Esau, and uh, Mama cooks up this scheme and and uh, gets Jacob to uh, dress up with skins and take a goat and kill it and bring the the food and so on and so forth. But he when he does that, he steals uh, uh, Esau's blessing. And when Esau finds this out, uh, the father is getting old. He's almost blind. And uh, Esau says to Jacob, uh, Daddy's getting really old. and He's going to die pretty quick. And when he dies, I'm going to kill you, buddy. That's a wonderful future. Can you say amen? <laughs> Mama says, no problem. Uh, this will pass over. Uh, you uh, run up to Uncle Laban's house up in uh, Haran, which is present-day uh, Turkey, uh, and he does that. But let's look closely for a moment. He's involved in this event, this breach of relationships. And because of that, he spends 21 years away from his home, away from his family, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> away from the things that are familiar to him, and had to live for 21 years there because of the bad decisions that he made in that event. Now we have another individual that's the other uh, extreme. His name is Joseph. You know Joseph's story? Joseph uh, uh, with his father's favorite. His brothers hated him. They threw him into a hole in the ground, finally sold him into slavery. Uh, uh, a marauding band of slave traders bought him, took him into Egypt, sold him to Potiphar, and there he is a slave. Uh, he's in Potiphar's house. Uh, this is no fault of his own. Uh, Others have made decisions, uh, <coughs> excuse me, and those decisions uh, 
have caught him in the events of life. He's there in Potiphar's house. He's making the best of this. He's still serving God. And as he's there, Potiphar's wife takes a liking to him. He's young. He's vibrant. And she comes in one day with her silk clinging blouse with no bra and puts the make on Joseph. You know the story. Uh, for his uh, resistance of sin, uh, they, uh, uh, she lies about him then, and he's thrown into bris- prison, and so here he is in prison. He spends three years uh, in prison, and this is no fault of his own. Now think with me for a moment. Here we have the two extremes. One is the decisions of life we make. Uh, the other is the decisions of life that others make, but mostly we have to admit uh, that most of our difficulties are because uh, of the decisions that we've made in life. Now, this brings me this morning to the hope uh, of redemption. If you're a believer, don't ever lose the perspective I'm going to talk about this morning. The hope of redemption is a story uh, of the redeeming God and a sovereign God. The key this morning is how to put the past behind you. In the book of Ephesians chapter 111, in him also, we've obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now think about that for a moment. Here is God, and the Bible says uh, that God has a purpose for each one of us. Uh, we're not just a, a loose conglomeration uh, of, uh, of, of uh, creatures just floating through uh, uh, time. And, uh, uh, and whoever gets down first, uh, that's uh, how it comes out. And so you're helpless, you're trapped, you're this, you're that. You see, the perspective, I said, uh, is all crucial this morning uh, on how you view this. And God says, I have a purpose for you. And that purpose is not your purpose. It's my purpose. Uh, And that purpose is not just for three days. uh, It's for eternity. uh, And I'm working for that purpose uh, to be fulfilled. Uh, And so there we have uh, the case for God. God is God. How many of you believe that God is God? If God is really God then this means that he is sovereign. I'm preparing a Bible study. I'm going to lead a a, a teach in our church called the kingdom of God. And fundamentally, to begin, it means it's not a democracy or a republic, and we're not voting. Incidentally, before I lose the opportunity, uh, you better register and you better vote. Because it's going to change your whole future, how the election comes out in November and the future of this country. God is a sovereign God. And being a sovereign God, someone said on a practical level, leaning the weight of our lives on God's sovereignty mostly affects the way we frame our experiences. That reframing shapes how We interpret our stories, changes our sense of who holds the power over our lives and lets us accept our past and anticipate the future with hope. I've just said a mouthful. 
And that mouthful is that a sovereign God is at work in the events of your life. Listen very closely to me this morning, because God never wastes an experience. This is why the Apostle Paul could write in the book of Romans, uh, but we know that all things work together for good to them that are called uh, according to his purpose. Uh, now think about that. When, when you even contemplate that, uh, uh, the gears of your mind, and we know, Paul doesn't say, uh, Socrates uh, supposed, or some famous uh, philosopher, he says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that are uh, the call of God according to his purpose. Now, fasten your minds on this. God is a redeemer. And to just utter that, uh, that, uh, that uh, thought, uh, it means that redemption is at the root of God's nature and his purpose. Uh, and that word is rooted in a picture of the slave market. In Bible days, they bought and sold human beings commonly. Uh, they were simply chattel to be bought and sold, uh, and you could buy another human being. In some places in the world, this still goes on today. Here are human beings. Let's catch this picture. Picture. They're in the slave market, uh, and an auction is being held, uh, and the highest bidder is going to own uh, one of these human beings, uh, and out of this comes the word redemption. It means literally to buy out of, or in other words, to purchase and take out of. This is where the word redemption is rooted. Now catch this picture for a moment. Here are human beings. They have been deceived in their minds. They have been sullied by the work of the devil their lives have been destroyed. Uh, their minds have been affected. And here this is this emaciated, uh, uh, hapless group of human beings. And they're in the slave market. The devil owns them and has their future in his hands. And God comes on the scene. And he says, yes, that's a bad looking lot. But I'll take that one, and 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 that I'll take them all. Pays the price. Can you say amen? Pays the price. Which is the precious blood of Jesus Christ uh, takes them out of uh, that atmosphere uh, and begins now to work uh, in their lives. But you see, the haunting question... Uh, comes, uh, have we irreparably uh, damaged our future? That's the haunting question. Yes, we know that we are who we are. We know that we've done what we've done. God loves us. Can you say amen? Sees what we are, takes us out of that environment, uh, and then begins to work with us. And it would be wonderful uh, if from that moment on, never more, ever made a mistake, never more ever made a wrong decision, never more ever had any confusion or any of those things, but would just simply be these beautiful and wonderful creatures. Uh, wings grew on them, halos come on their head, and it was just glorious. Uh, and the world and your neighbor could look and say, oh, 
thank God for you. But they don't. Because you still have what the Bible calls the flesh with you. The world, the flesh, and the devil are engaged in the arena of destruction. And now we must deal with that. And this haunting question, have we irreparably damaged our future? Psalms 103, verse 4 says, Who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Now here's the question. One author says, this is a crucial question for each of us. How are we going to allow the detours of the lost years and the mistakes to take their proper places in lives that are somehow being orchestrated by a God who loves us? Can we let ourselves accept that we are living directed lives even when we feel like we're floundering? Now, here's the glorious truth uh, that I want to bring to you this morning. In the book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 25, it says, I will will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, uh, and the chewing uh, locust. Now, how's God going to do that? See, as he draws this picture, he's talking about the wasted years, the years of unproductivity, the years of a wrong course, the years that have been uh, uh, have not been acted upon, the opportunity uh, and what could have been. But God says, I'm going to restore those years to you. How's he going to do that? I want to contemplate that with you for a moment uh, this morning. Because in those years are the seeds of your future, Pastor Camel so ably last night talked about seeds. So think with me for a moment about a redemptive God, about a God who is working his purpose in your life, about a God who is sovereign even with frail and failing humanity. And in those years are the seeds of your future. In the scripture, One author has said, we'll not see ourselves merely at the mercy of our mistakes or the choices of others. Two main sources of regret. God is bigger than that. Think with me what I just said. We do not view ourselves then as the victims of the mistakes of the choices we've made or of the choices that other people have made that have swept us into that because God is a sovereign God and he never wastes an event in life. Let's think about Jacob for a moment. Jacob made the horrible mistake. He's up in Haran for 21 years. (coughs) Excuse me. God speaks to him and he's bringing him back into the land of his destiny. And as he's bringing him back... News comes to him uh, that brother Esau is waiting and has a welcoming for him. 400 armed men. He's going to get his revenge big time. 
in that moment, here is the past. Jacob has caused this himself. He snookered Esau out of his first his birthright. Uh, he insanely sold it to him for a bowl of beans. And then he snookered him out of his blessing by deceiving his father. And now he's going to have to pay the piper. What is he going to do in that moment? It is in the 21 years in Haran that brings him to a desperation of moment, uh, and he knows uh, that there's no way out of this unless God undertakes for him. He's a dead man. Have you ever come to that place this morning? Or are you still trying to scheme your way out of your problem? Or you're still trying to consummate, hey, man, you know, I'm like, give me all the you know, human beings are a trip. They really are. I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor of pastors for many, many years. And, and one of the most frustrating events of life is when you catch somebody red-handed. You're looking them right in the eye. You've got all the evidence there. Oh, no. I tell you, hey, that, yeah, that wasn't the way that was. Well, I didn't really say that. You did say that. But I have to stay saved. (laughs) And go on and live life in the future. Here he is. He's desperate. And in that moment, the seeds of his trickery, his deceit, the life that he's lived, the nature that he has... It has to come into contact with God. He has to reckon with that. And out of that wrestling match at the Brook Jabbok, God touches Jacob and said, Your name is no longer Jacob, but it is Israel. For as a prince of God, you have power with God and with man. Now think with me for a moment, because the seeds of his destiny are sown in his past failure and nature. And now this brings him to this place where he has to come to grips with reality. And the redeeming God touches this man and sends him across that brook to embrace a brother instead of being slain by him. Think with me for a moment about this event. How you deal with the failures of the past, how you cause the years that are wasted to be restored, is you make the past serve the future. Here is Joseph on the other extreme. In Genesis 50 and verse 20, we find these words, but as for you, you meant it to... Uh, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Here's the two extremes. In both of these extremes, the sovereign God begins to reveal that far more than the issues of the moment, far more than the failures of the past, is being able to recognize the sovereign working of God, and make that serve your future and your destiny, realizing 
that God is God and you do have a future. Let's come back to Peter for a moment. Jesus has been crucified. He's raised from the dead. The disciples go to the Sea of Galilee. They're fishing and suddenly on the shore appears this figure saying, uh, children, do you have any meat? They recognize, Peter immediately recognized it's the Lord Jesus. He throws himself into the sea, makes him way to the coast. They're eating breakfast. Now think about this uh, because th- this, this causes your spine to tingle. They're eating breakfast uh, when Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Oh, yeah, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Peter, do you, you love me? Well, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. The third time, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And three times the Lord Jesus says to him, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Then if you love me, get back to doing what I called you to do. That makes your spine tingle tonight. How unlike us is the Lord. Uh, Peter, you remember uh, there when we were in Caiaphas' house, you uh, remember that little maid saw you and she said, uh, I, 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 he's a Galilean. And you said, no, not me. Nope. You remember that, Peter? Yes, I remember that, Lord. You remember that other one came? And they said, uh, you, you were also with him. Do you remember that, Peter? You, you remember that, don't you, Peter? Why did you do that? Well, I don't know, Lord. You remember that third one that came to you? And you finally wanted to convince them, and you began to curse out and show them that you're not a Christian. You remember that, Peter? See, that... That's that's what human beings do. Oh, yeah, well, I'll forgive you, but uh, <laughs> there's a few little things we need to talk about, first of all. Uh, do you remember the issue there when we were sitting and you said, and I heard, as a matter of fact, I've got it written down here. You know that's how we are, don't you? Vengeance. We want... We want some flesh. We want, uh, we want, uh, oh, we're intending to forgive. You know, we're forgiving. We're the very embodiment of forgiveness and grace and favor. But first we want to produce a little bit of misery. What a glorious story this is of the redeeming grace of God, the wonderful love of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Then you get back to doing what I called you to do. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29 and verse 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for good and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Now we're gathered this morning as ministers of the gospel of Christ. A poet wrote these words that I read them as I was uh, musing about uh, the issue of regret and remorse 
and how it affects the human mind. You see, it's how you process life that is so important for your future. The poet said, Canst thou not minister to a mind diseased? Pluck from the memory a rooted sorrow. Raise out the written troubles of the brain. And with some sweet oblivious antidote, cleanse the stuffed bosom of that perilous stuff which weighs upon the heart. This morning as believers, we're called to live life forward. And as we're called to live life forward, not in the past, but live life forward, we also are called to minister to those to whom we witness with the hope of the wonderful redemption of the God that's in Christ Jesus. And as ministers of God above all, I often marvel at pastors. We did it, we did it, our first a pastor training seminar in in in, in Prescott in how to make sermons. We had a question and answer session, and and one young pastor. He's a he's a good good man, but he's frustrated. Is <coughs> he frustrated? He's frustrated. These people will not do what he's telling them to do. And I mean, the anger came as he gave that question, and. Uh, Tom Paine, who was sitting there, uh, gave a classic answer. He said, the one thing that helped me in ministry in Prescott as I was being discipled uh, and in the early years is I saw Pastor Mitchell, regardless of what he was preaching about, he always, uh, at the end, uh, brought hope and redemption to the people who were listening. That's your, that's your job. That's your job. Pastor, as you're here sitting in this building, it is your job. Canst thou not minister to a mind diseased? See, sin has laid its hold upon the human heart. It has framed mankind for eternity. And unless God brings a miracle healing cure to the mind, the mind diseased will be exploited by the devil, the one who comes to kill and steal and destroy, and they will live their entire life trapped by some failure, some event of the past, some shortcoming, some wrong decision. But the gospel of Jesus Christ commissions you, Pastor, to bring healing to a diseased mind, to pluck from the memory, a rooted sorrow to raise out the written troubles of the brain. I want every head bowed, every eye closed. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? please visit our website at vvph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.